nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Welcome back, nurses and hypochondriacs. We're back from our hiatus. On this episode, I talk to that big bald nurse, Matt Norman from TikTok. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff and we're going to be sharing some interesting stories. Like Matt's going to tell us a story about how he wrestled a big fat man at Starbucks. Yep. We're also going to be talking about nurse burnout and are nurses really leaving the bedside or is that all just propaganda? Matt's also going to be telling us about how he's helping nurses who are burnt out with his business, RestoringNurses.com, and his Healthy Happy Life Assessment. This is a fun episode. You won't want to miss it. This episode is brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media, 501c3, and the well-written nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Matt Norman, that big bald nurse. Ah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Cool. So, yeah, I've been watching your TikToks. And um, like I was telling you before we started recording, um, I feel like you're a very grounded person, you know, and very sincere uh, so go ahead and tell us about yourself. Like, how did you get into starting to do TikToks? Well, um, I'll go back a little further than that and talk about my career and, and, uh, you know, how I got into nursing and all that. I, um, I've been, I've been a nurse a little over 22 years. I've been in healthcare for a little over 26, um, which these days is about a million years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so many people leaving nursing. Um, but I, I really honestly got into nursing because my mother and grandmother were nurses and I knew when I was married. Yeah. Yeah. We all went to the same nursing school even. Um, So yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, I got pinned with the same pin that my mother and grandmother were pinned with, which is incredible. Um, But I just wanted a job. I just wanted a decent job. I had a young wife and, you know, we, I knew I needed to support uh, my family so I became a nurse and it wasn't long before I learned that I absolutely loved it. Um, so nurse for 22 years, uh, spent most of that time in the emergency department, although I've done a variety of other things along the way as well. And I currently teach uh, nursing at a local university. Um, oh, on a personal so cool. note, I'm, I'm married, married to my high school sweetheart, uh, married 27 years this awesome. year, uh, 26 years, we'll be 27 coming up. Um, and I actually initially refused to to have anything to do with TikTok. And my wife kept texting me TikTok videos that she, you know, enjoyed. And and finally I downloaded it and proceeded then to sit on my back porch watching TikTok videos until my phone died. Yeah. (laughs) And then I just started making video. Yeah. So I started making videos and you know, just kind of playing with it and 
And next thing I know, people were responding and, and some of the stuff I was sharing seemed to connect with people. And I've got, I, I, I mean, I've got a passion for nurse. I just love nurses. Yeah. You know, we, we're a unique group of people and nobody else can really understand us like we understand us. Um, and so I, I, so I just started making TikToks for nurses and it just kind of grew and grew and more people were connecting with it. And uh, next thing I know, I've got a pretty good following and, and, um, I've connected with some really cool people on the app and, yeah. uh, hopefully helping them along the way. That's so awesome. Um, I did the same thing. I was very hesitant to get on TikTok, you know, um, cause during COVID it was just like the dancing videos and I never even watched it. I had an aversion to it. Yeah. It wasn't until I was on a Facebook site where they were saying one of the best ways to market your podcast nowadays is to get on TikTok, you know, and I did start throwing some tidbits of my podcast on there. And I noticed that I started to get more downloads. So um, and then I, I went ahead and started to do some videos and I was trying to do some videos on writing and, and then I would take breaks and I didn't really know how it worked. And then um, I had some people on and they were telling me their tricks on how they kind of blew up. And some people, it depends on the algorithm. You'll just blow up yeah. and get all these followers or like you won't. So, so I think I'm yeah. on that. It's very, it's very hard to, it, it's, it's hard to gauge, you know, cause then I did like yeah. a weird video one day, like I just threw it up and it was on, I started doing deathbed confessions, you know, it's just something really funky. And I told about this personal story. Um, and it was only because I was just trying to, to figure out why a certain situation was going on in my life. Like I was, I was having an issue with a neighbor and I go, why is this happening? You know, and she she goes around saying that nobody likes me, you know, which <laughs> I'm I, I have another residence and um I I have like five thank you notes of parties that I went to of stuff that I brought. I'm like the fun person, you know, I bring lottery tickets and I bring, you know, scratchers and I'll bring like all kinds of stuff. That's just who I am. I'm like party party party. You know, like I told you I was watching my friend's dogs and I started to talk to them in a Tennessee twang. <laughs> Because he talks to his dogs <laughs> that way, you know. I even entertain animals. So I was like, I know that's not me, but this is coming. I'm creating this somehow. Um, so I remembered we I grew up with this really nasty woman. And so I started to talk about her on TikTok, which I found really helped. It was kind of very therapeutic for me that I could tell these yeah. stories about living next door to this woman. And I ended up taking care of her sister when she was in the hospital and I was a new grad and she was insulting me because um, she goes, <laughs> her sister, I mean, she was just a nasty person because her poor sister had both of her legs amputated. She was a terrible diabetic. She had been in a wheelchair a lot of her life, you know. Um, and she said, she was like, my sister is just such a terrible person, you know? So it, it's not that she's only mean to you. She's just mean to everybody. She's just nasty, you know? And, um, so I, and, and so this woman, uh, <laughs> my neighbor, when she went to go visit her sister, she came out and she was like, you know, she deserves everything she's getting and everything that's happening to her. And she goes, <laughs> Um, and she goes, and I heard her tell her sister, 
uh, crap about me because she was like, well, she's just an associate's nurse. Because at the time I was, you know, and I was just like, whoa, (laughs) you know, and um, she was just, you know, she towards the end of this woman's life, she lived quite a long time. These people tend to live a long time, too. Right. Right. Mean never dies. Mean never dies. I love that. You know, so she um, was opening up my mom's mail. And so the the giving it back to the postwoman. So the postwoman was delivering it to my mom and my mom was furious because her mail kept coming open and she kept asking the postwoman what's going on. And the postwoman knew that the lady next door was opening up the mail, but she wouldn't say anything. She was this old crooked lady until one day her caretaker came to tell my mom that she was. Wow. That's crazy. And and so, so the confession that went viral, like I got 25,000 hits on it or more, um, and it, you know, which I think is going viral. I don't know what, con- what constitutes going viral was just that deathbed confession that, you know, all the, all the confession was, cause everybody's like, that's not a deathbed confession. I go, it is. She confirmed to me that her sister is a nasty person, you know, okay. <laughs> not all deathbed confessions have to be, I killed somebody, but those are actually good ones too. I've, I've gotten a slew sure. of those on Facebook sites. When I ask the question, those are really funny, but have you ever heard of a death bank, any good deathbed confessions? I've not, which, it, which is kind of uh, ironic because in the ER, yeah. obviously, and, and maybe they just, maybe they just die too quickly in the ER. They don't have time, you know, because uh, most of the patients that die in the ER, they're very close when they come in. So maybe that's why, I, even though I've, I've probably had hundreds of people, uh, die in my care in the ER, which sounds terrible, but it's just the way it is. Uh, I've never had any of those. Wow. So tell us, I I like that story that you were sharing uh, about, and I tried to do one too, but that woman's um, audio was weird. So my audio came weird on the TikTok on what's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you. So your story was like super fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share that one. Uh, you're talking about the kid, right? Yes. The kid. Um, but then you so, were telling another one, like a Starbucks one. You could tell that one too. We're all uh, about stories. Okay, cool. So I I got lots of them with almost 20 years in the ER. I've got lots of stories. Uh, this, this one particular case, it was a, a child, seven, eight, nine years old. I don't remember, um, but, but around there. And his parents brought him to the ER for a psychiatric evaluation because he said he was seeing angels and demons. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've, we work him up medically first, make sure there's not any electrolyte imbalances or anything that, that might cause, uh, cause him to hallucinate. And that all comes back. So we're waiting on it to actually going to transfer him to a child psych facility. We call staffing office to send a sitter. Um, well, this this child had been growling at staff and, you know, OK, so some kids are weird. So right. maybe he's just being weird. OK, yeah. who knows? You know? And um, the sitter comes down, sits at her at the foot of his bed and she's from Russia and I'm like grew up in Russia and had only been in the States a few years. And she, the, this boy sits up in the bed looks at her and speaks to her in russian 
Now, this is not only just Russian, but, you know, Russia is a very large place. So many different dialects and all that, not just Russian, but the appropriate dialect from for where she was grew up. This child grew up in small town, central Florida. Okay, and (laughs) no reason he should have known a lick of Russian, but sat up, looked her in the face and spoke to her in her language. She was upset enough by it, understandably so, that she had to leave. She she I, she left the floor, left the hospital. Um, her shift was over. Oh, yeah. That. that That's probably the. Yeah, I mean, I would have too. I mean, I, you know, uh, that was strange. Um that's probably the freakiest thing yeah, that's, that's ever happened. That's that's really strange. Had I been his nurse, I would have been like, okay, it's time to do an exorcism. So <laughs> not really. Well, <laughs> a funny thing, we he was he was actually sitting in the hall for a little while because the ER was wow. very crowded. And um at some point after that, they had moved him into a room. And I, I'm a uh, pastor in addition to being a nurse. Oh, so I thought I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah. So you see, you see kind of where this is going or where this could go. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back there and just kind of, because he had been, like I said, growling at other yeah. staff. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I went back there and I'm thinking, if this kid does have a demon, which I believe now he did. Or, oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. Then how's he going to interact with me as a pastor? You know? Right. So I, um, I went, I went back there and, um, this child who had been, you know, behaving really strangely was completely calm for the few minutes that I was, uh, with him, did not growl at me, had no interact. It basically ignored me, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, until I left, you know, I, which was also very interesting, you know, uh, considering all of the, everything that had happened up to that point, uh, yeah, that's um, the strangest thing that's ever happened. Yeah, yeah. I would have um, asked the parents a slew of questions, which I do now because I find that these kids because I get these kids coming into my clinic and their parents are like, right. you know what's going on with them? Meanwhile, the parents are all tattooed head to toe about the, um, the exorcist or they're wearing exorcist t-shirts like of the, just these creepy movies and uh, horror movies. And, and the kids are what that's all they're doing all day long is watching horror movies. And there's a lot of dark stuff out there now. I mean, a lot yeah. of the stuff on Netflix is real dark, you know, I mean, even yeah. the good nurse, which Charles Graber, you know, I read the book. He's been on this show three times. I love it. And um, now the, his episodes are trending, <laughs> which is awesome. Getting my ratings up. Um, so glad to have him. He's such a great guy uh, to talk to and to interview. He's very nice. But I was watching. I couldn't watch The Good Nurse. It was too dark for me. It was just too mm. like I just was getting pulled in emotionally you know, and right. I was, I was getting, tra- I was like, I can't watch this, you know, even it just felt too real to me too, you know, um, because I did work with a serial killer and <laughs> who was like, we kept having these cold blues and I've talked about it on the show many times. Um, and, the, and thanks to TikTok, like this kind of um, unlocked it. Cause I had Melissa on the show. She was talking about serial killers uh, that were, had an Adventist health background. Right. 
and I worked at an Adventist Health Hospital, and this guy was going around. His name is Efren Saldivar. He was a respiratory therapist, and he was going around killing people on purpose. We had wow. code blues towards the end of the year, and I kept asking as a new grad, I was like, hey, why are so many people dying at the end of the year? And they're like, oh, people just die at the end of the year. You know, well, where's your peer-reviewed research on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um and and so I remember specifically one night I I, I you know to date I've only lost you know because I've worked pediatrics most of my time and not um with I've worked with some oncology kids I've worked in ICU but I've never had a patient dot actively die on me that I know of to date and this man was the only man that died on me and I had 13 patients that night and it was like one of those thunder and lightning nights and I'm admitting my 13th patient at like 1030 or something. My patient was going to be transferred to another unit. I mean, he's, he's an older man in his eighties, had a knee replacement, just was having all kinds of issues because he weighed over 300 pounds. And, um, and everybody was on this case, you know, cause we were trying to get him transferred out to the ICU. There were no beds, of course, you know, it was just one of those weird situations, right? The house supervisor right. was on it. The charge nurse was on it. I charted every minute <laughs> what was going on with him. But the respiratory therapist, I still remember this, and thank you for Melissa, um, had just been in there. And then all of a sudden, this guy died, expired, had respiratory th distress. Yeah, sure. He's kind of having some issues breathing and stuff, but that's why the respiratory therapist went in. But after the respiratory therapist left, that's when this guy died, you know? Wow. It's <laughs> And I remember telling the 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 people, the managers, the administrative staff, I don't understand. He was fine until the respiratory therapist went in there. Everybody's like, I don't know, you know. But yeah, yeah, it's so weird. So, what's your other weird story or interesting story? Um, <laughs> yeah, this this one's uh, well, it is kind of weird it, unless you're an ER nurse, and then it's just life. Um, but working in the ER, we handled a lot of psych patients. Our hospital was actually a receiving facility for um, people who were being brought to the ER for involuntary admission. Um, wow. So we got lots of those. And um, they're not called 5150, right? That's only a California thing, the 5150. Right. And in Florida, it's called the Baker Act. The, it's Baker, the Baker Act in Florida. Okay. Yeah, every state has some version of that that allows for involuntary psychiatric admission. Um, and in Florida, it's called Baker Act. So we, we were a Baker Act receiving facility. So we got lots of these. And our routine at the time was to, and I doubt it's changed much, was to have them completely stripped down, take their belongings, secure them in a locker, um, but then put on, have them put on a patient gown. So that, you know, for one, there's they have nothing that they can hurt, harm themselves or us with. And two, in general, it uh, decreases the risk of flight. Um, not always. And so I'm working one night and I hear a commotion towards the back of the ER where our psychiatric patients were. And I look up and I see a um, rather large um, naked man run out from the hall where our psych patients are and then turn and go to, down the hall towards the main hospital. So of course <laughs> I joined the pursuit. Um, you know, when, you, when you're a big guy in the ER and something strange goes down, 
you're always involved right. because they, they need the muscles, you know? Right. So I go off uh, after this guy. I know I can't let him in his birthday suit run into the main hospital. He gets partway down the hall and goes in the first open door that he finds, which happens to be the Starbucks. So he runs in there. I, me and a couple of others are right behind him. I, I remember to this day, there were probably like 10 people in line in the Starbucks when, when we all ran in there. And by the time we got him under control, there was nobody in line. Like everybody decided, I don't want coffee that bad. In fact, some of them may still not be drinking coffee anymore. I I don't know, you probably, know? Probably. And uh, <laughs> right. Like I give it up. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the barista who was a pretty big gal, she just disappeared. Now we're standing between her. The, the only way she can get around the counter and the exit we're there. So I don't know where she went, but she was gone. I don't know if she climbed over the counter. And like I said, she was a pretty big gal, um, but she just disappeared. So we, I mean, we ended up, you know, we brought a sheet and covered him up. We brought a stretcher and, you know, got him on it and restrained. But I, I just never forget that line of people that just disappeared, you know, and, and I don't wow. blame them. But yeah, that's that's the story of the time I nickled, n- ran, uh, wrestled a naked fat man in the Starbucks. Yeah, nursing, you gotta love it. I mean, so there's so much negative stuff going on in nursing. And I think maybe it started to happen with COVID because all this stuff that's going on now has been going on since I was a new grad. I don't know about you, but um, I I know that I I remember when I started working, I would see these administrators, these CEOs, and I'd be like, hey, how'd they get to be CEO? Um, you know, and they're like, or what do they do? And they're like, oh, well, they run the hospital. I go, well, what are their qualifications? None of them had ever been in healthcare. I mean, we have the medical directors, we have the nursing directors, sure. But these people above are always, they have no healthcare experience. A lot of the times they came in through nepotism, you know, um, which I remember when I was working for a pharmaceutical company, I would go to all these hospitals and I would read signs that I'd never read before. And I would see who were the heads of the hospital. You know, they have their pictures on the wall and I would look up and see, you know, just because I would be bored sometimes because I'd have to wait for certain people to let me in. And, um, there was a sign at one hospital that said, we do not practice nepotism. And I go, oh, that sign's there for a reason. Because at one point in time, they must have been practicing nepotism, right? <laughs> or that the, the, the problem with a sign, the problem with a sign like that is it's, in my experience, the person that defend has, feels like they have to defend that sort of thing is probably guilty of it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I would, I would have to call BS on that. Um, Unless I saw evidence of it, but maybe I'm just too skeptical after so many years. And exactly. Once you've been in the healthcare business, as long as we have, because it sounds like, you know, like, like I said, I started in 97. Sounds like you have been in just about, if not longer, uh, you kind of know, you start to see things. You start, you're, you're in like the Wizard of Oz and you, you see behind the veil and, and you know how to maneuver and get around things. 
Now with COVID, I mean, it seemed like everything went to shit. I mean, just stuff that I was hearing from people who were administrators and they were telling me that uh, PPEs were purposely being hidden. Like these administrators were, you know, um, hiding them and and just weird stuff was just happening. I mean, these rules about uh, family could not see their loved ones when they were dying. Um, I heard one major healthcare hospital <laughs> had like this death truck where they would just stack bodies and nobody knew like, you know, cause it was like a, a morgue that they had to hire some, you know, refrigerated truck and they were just stacking bodies there and they didn't know. I mean, people were just mortified. And, and so, but these are right. these CEOs that have no healthcare background that are making these decisions. And um, as a writer, I even see more behind what's going on as a storyteller and coaching people's stories. I could call bullshit very quickly now. You know, I was like, oh, they're bullshit. And, but sometimes, you know, um, I still have a hard time. You know, I, I just have to really look behind. Like sometimes I could walk into a place and be like, I can't believe this administrator is telling you these guys because I work a lot of locums as well. And um, they're like, how do you know? You know, first of all, it's experience. <laughs> Number two, it's using discernment and your intuition, right. you know, and, and really right. like looking at them because the stuff that these people are making nurses and doctors do is atrocious. For example, I had there's a big company called um, Carbon Health and they're uh, a corporate. So it's it's a non healthcare person is uh had put money into this and i think there's a doctor from silicon valley that also is part of this and so they're opening up all these little um clinics these franchises and they're hiring nurse practitioners here in california for like 60 bucks an hour my friend just took this position he's like like has 16 17 years of it we went to grad school together he's got a ton of np experience and i couldn't believe he took this job for that much money like that it for us, that's like new grad pay. Nurses are making that much. Nurses are making $55 an hour. Why would you pay? And he's doing the work of a doctor, but he's literally getting paid a Walmart price for it. And I right. told him, like, he went in there and he was like complaining. He he about and he works at a, a federally qualified clinic that he's been working at for several years. Um, and he gets paid very compensated, very, very well. And, um, and he was just like, this is ridiculous. And I go, you need to quit. And he goes, yeah, if Ursilia uh, took this job, I go, no, Ursilia would never take that job because <laughs> of the amount right. of money. <laughs> like, I don't even walk in there anymore. I just, uh, I say, no, I negotiate for what my fee is because I know my worth and I know what I bring to the company. And if they yeah. say no, I'm like, all right, bye. You know, go find someone else and people will go and they just think that this is how it is, you know, and right. for nurse practitioners, well, and, I've know, I think that, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. I think that that highlights one of the biggest issues in, in nursing is that so many nurses don't see their worth, Right. you know, we're, and, and, and I think that I believe that hospital systems and, and other healthcare facilities, I, uh, some people get on me because I only talk about hospitals, but that's where I've spent the vast majority of my career. I've never worked right. in, a, in an extended care and, you know, a long-term care facility. I did a few years of outpatient and an infusion center um, as, as an oncology nurse. 
but the vast majority of my career is hospitals. So that's what I know. So that's what I speak to. Um, so a lot of these hospitals, if either by intent or um, at least allowing it to happen, they take advantage of the fact that nurses don't recognize their worth and are it's not true. willing to demand what what they right now. And I do think that there are some uh, organizational uh, leaders and some of these healthcare organizations that do it on purpose. They yeah, they, they know that uh, that nurses. And we hear so much about nursing being a calling, and there's certainly yeah. a, a piece of that. And in, in, in my experience, I've seen both extremes. I've seen nurses that were nurses just for a paycheck, and they turn out, they may be one of the best nurses I ever worked with clinically was like right. that. He was, a, he was a good guy and was clinically was very, very sharp. But that that last 10 or 15 percent that would have made him a great nurse, sometimes you have to hold somebody's hand, you know, yeah. a patient's hand. There's that that piece of it. So if you go too far that direction, then it's a problem. But then it, I've also seen nurses that were, well, I just always grew up wanting to be a nurse. Yeah. Well, that's sweet, but you're probably going to burn out in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, it there is a an, a, a, a piece of it being a calling, but it's also a job and a, and a really yeah. hard one. And so, but we take, you know, we take it, there's, oh, but it's a calling. Uh, so we, we tell ourselves that, and we're told that over and over and over again. And the result is that we end up taking, putting up with things we should not put up with and taking um, pay that is not right. equal to our value and um, working in conditions that are not safe for us or the people we care for. Right. But all, all because we're, we, we, oh, well, it's a calling. Yeah. And I okay, think maybe a little, yeah, a little bit. There is a little bit of that. Cause I, I don't think nursing is for everyone. I mean, you have to like people, right. you have to like to talk to people. You have to be somewhat social, you know? And a lot of nurses aren't, um, and, and a lot of nurses, like you said, do get in it for the money. Uh, and either way, if you get in for the money, if you get in it, cause, oh, I always wanted to be a nurse or my mom went through cancer and I saw what the nurses did for her and you're being this sacrificial lamb, uh, victim mentality and going into it, well, you're going to be eaten up. And those are the ones who get, get ravaged by bullies you know, those are the ones who don't know how to set boundaries up. Those are the ones like take all the shifts. Cause I was watching one of your um, TikToks where you were saying, cause you're, you're a huge promoter of this. It's like really pick and choose like your life, your life, like your life is important, yeah. you know? And I see yeah. um, a lot of new nurse practitioners do this going like, oh my God, they want me to work like five days a week. And I, I bring my charting home and I, you know, now I got to take call or I got to do all this and that. And I have like two little kids at home and, and like, I, I ran into um, a nurse practitioner. She was, she was a, she was pretty new. I think she'd been an NP for about a couple of years. She had two little kids. She had like a one-year-old and a two-year-old and she drove like an hour to this location. And I told her, I mean, yeah, they were giving her reimbursement for her schooling uh, to pay off her student loans and stuff. But I was like, where are your kids all day? You know, and she's like in daycare. And I was like, what? I mean, (laughs) I I don't have children because 
I didn't want to be ever be in these situations, you know, and I always said, if I happen right. to have a child, happen to find a partner, I just couldn't work full time every day. You know, um, I just would my brain would be on my kids, you know, right. um, and I see these complaints um, from women all the time and how difficult it is. And yeah, it is difficult. Mm-hmm. They don't make it easy to work, you know, and have a family. It's either you kind of right. nowadays you almost have to pick and choose or like I do design your life. No, everybody thinks that's weird. Yeah. Like this is what I have to do. No, you can actually design your life. You know, 100%. That's, that's actually a big part of what I, you know, the, the, one of the things that I, t- I, I, I like to tell folks is that where we're at right now is a result of now things happen that may put us on a trajectory, but somewhere along the way, we have made choices and developed habits that guide us where we're at. Yes. I heard it said once that our life is, our life has been perfectly designed to get us where we are. Yes. So, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like right. you said, you can I leave the matrix. I, my son. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My, my son, uh, he, he's grown and married now, but when he was in high school, very active in the marching band and, and all this stuff. And my wife and I were at everything, every football game, every marching band competition, the the trailer for the band's equipment is behind my truck everywhere it goes. My our daughter is in dance and we're at everything. We're involved in the studio, volunteering. We're just we're 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 just very involved. And you know what? I'm still a nurse. You know, I didn't I didn't sell my family right. in order to have a nursing job, which a lot of the a lot of nurses do that. They do. And they, they go, do oh, that. but I don't, but I can't. No, you can now. Well, there were times when I was still bedside that, okay, we had to do Thanksgiving dinner was on Sunday instead of on Thursday, or we opened presents Christmas Eve instead of Christmas morning mm-hmm. or things like that because of, because I had to work, but we worked, we worked it out so that we, right. we were always still a part of that family thing. Whereas I put up uh, a video recently on my TikTok asking nurses how, how many family or personal events they had missed in the last year. And, you know, some of them said all of them. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Right. I, I couldn't believe chosen, that. You've chosen. Or the funeral. The one about the yeah. funeral. Were you the one talking about the this funeral. woman oh. had to miss yes. her father's yes. funeral? Unless she did it yes. on purpose, unless it was a subconscious thing, like, eh, I don't need yeah. to go to his funeral. <laughs> right. Maybe he was a giant <laughs> jerk. Maybe he was, and, and she was like, oh, thank God I got to work that yeah. day. Um, but, but it, you know, short of that. Short of that, then I, I would I would quit a job, and that, that's that's I think that's a big part of the problem is we think that quitting is not an option. Not we, me, and you, and I. Well, I, I I think I know you well enough already to realize you'll walk away oh, yeah. before you'll be mistreated. And, and, and now and for sure, and, and now for sure. I mean, before I I had to work up to this. You know, I've had I've gone sure. through intensive hypnotherapy, which I talk about on the show, and it wasn't until then that I really started to uncover what's been going on and what my blocks are. Now I do it to myself. Like if something keeps coming up, I'm like, mm, let me look at this. But it, it did take a lot of time for me to get there because I, yeah. you know, I, I had succumbed to the bully. I mean, I cried in, in bathrooms, you know, 
I've um, had to deal with aggressive coworkers and not understand what was going on in my world. So now I'm at a point where I understand that if I walk away or say no to someone who's not treating me with respect, like, did I treat this person disrespectfully? No. You know, are they impinging on my boundaries? Did I give them several, several warnings? Maybe yes, maybe no. And um, so if I'm not being treated the way I treat you or the way I want to be treated, I will walk away because tomorrow I know another door will open for me, which usually does, you know. And um, and like I said, I I had I (laughs) I was dating a millionaire for a short period of time and um, I was working. And this is when I started to really do this. I was working at my first MP uh, practice. And it was like, I was seeing 40, 50 kids and I was ravaged, you know, I was exhausted and I was, I was getting paid like garbage. I didn't have any benefits there. Um, the, the, the office manager was the doctor's wife and she come banging at the door, you know, telling you to hurry up and not talk so much. And she was aggressive. And, and so I would, I was talking to this guy one day, and, um, and it had been a year and he's all like, you, he goes, you have a master's degree. You don't think that, and he didn't have any degrees. He actually spent time in prison. So he goes, like this. He goes you have a master's degree. He goes, you don't think that if you walk away that in two days or less, you could find a new job. And I took his advice and literally I, I quit on a Friday and on a Monday I had a new job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Yeah. You know, and it, and it I was on my people, terms, you know, I actually, right. cause that's what that's he what told tell me. Folks, quitting. Yeah. Yeah. Quitting is an option. Is it scary? Absolutely. Yeah. For the vast majority of my, well, since I became a nurse, I've always made, been the primary breadwinner. May now I make significantly more money than my wife. And so if I quit my job, that notion is scary. Yeah. Uh, but I've also never been without a job for, since I was 16 years old. Right. So Quitting is always an option. You've just got to, at some point, say, nurses have to say, I deserve better than this. Yeah. But they think, and they're being told by society and by our organizations, that that thought is selfish. Yes. And yes. I, I'm going to call bullshit on that one, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And then and then we have people complaining of burnout. Oh, I'm so bad. Like, now... The catchphrase is burnout. So this is a branding now that's going on. It's an identity that everybody's attaching to. I mean, I've written a couple of articles on burnout. And so I've, in writing, I've been able to research much deeper on what burnout is, right? And and burnout is not just a work thing, you know, it's a life thing. You know, it, it's yeah. like, are you being burnt out in your personal life as well? Are you trying to do too much and and you cannot give of yourself everywhere you're at? So something has to give, you know, to where you're able to balance everything out um, and you're able to live a very fulfilling life because that should be the goal is, you know, and I don't yeah. think people understand that. And I didn't understand that either until um, like I, until I got divorced, you know, uh, and I was very young, I got married, I gotten divorced and I had a home and, and everything. And I was just like, well, this is what, <laughs> I guess this is right. not part of the game that I'm just supposed to go to school, have a family and buy a home. There's something bigger out there for me. 
you know, and, and usually you go on your hero's journey and you start exploring that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then something else comes out, but a lot of people don't understand that they think that, you know, right. we're, we're living in such a consumerism society that that's what they give into, you know, I got to buy the house. I got to yeah. buy the car, you know, and I think there were a lot of COVID chasers that were doing that. I had seen one particular company I had heard from other nurses and nurse practitioners that were working for this company, that these women were making big money and then they were flaunting their Mercedes and flaunting their expensive yep. handbags and flaunting their, and I'm just like, okay, so you just worked all of those shifts. <laughs> you killed yourself. You risked your life for this item that is going to lose value or has already lost right. value as soon as you bought it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I don't have, I don't I have nothing against a fancy car, but I am a car guy. I'm a car guy uh, too. Um, I'm a car gal too. <laughs> I am. I am. Yeah, you, you know? go. I, I freaking oh. love cars. Okay. But, uh, I have seen so many nurses just like you're talking about that even, you know, staff nurses, that are working four or five hours a shift because they have a $700 car payment because they drive a Mercedes. I drive an 11 year old Chevrolet Silverado pickup truck. Okay. That's paid for. And you know what that allows me to do? That allowed me when, when things start, things started happening at the hospital where I was an educator um, earlier this year, it allowed me to leave that job, go to where I'm working at the university now, which is what I've wanted to do for a long time but because I had been working hard on taking care of my finances, my financial health, I was able to take that pay cut. And it was significant, <laughs> but it got me where I wanted to be. It got me into a place that was healthier for, for me and my family. And and you know what? I love my paid for truck. My, yeah. I, I, would, I would take that over a, a $700 car payment uh, any day of the week. I hear you. you know, I'm, I'm there too. So I many nurses... Yeah, so many yeah. nurses have built lifestyles that require they work extra. I yeah. put a, a TikTok on my channel uh, um, recently and asking why, why, why do you work overtime? And a number of them said they had to. And I would, I would, if I had the opportunity to speak to them, I'd push back and say, do you have to because because you you don't have an alternative or because you've built a lifestyle that requires it? Right. The reality is many, many nurses have built a lifestyle that requires that. And you know what? You can unbuild that lifestyle too. I know because I've done that. Right. When I was it... around 30 years old. My wife and I were building it. You know, she made good money. I made good money. We built a very lavish lifestyle. And then somewhere along the line, we realized this, this is, is not sustainable. Right. Not sustainable. And so also we did. not we had a back back. Right. And, and probably not all not fulfilling, you know, you know, deep down inside. No. You're, right. And Absolutely. I think that that's what at, that's what's at the core, because you can have all that stuff and still feels empty inside. So it's like something within you 100%. that you have to resolve, you know, yeah. with what you're doing um, in life. Like if you're giving, 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 then, you know, it's like, what's yeah. the purpose of life? And then so then people get depressed, people get anxious, and now they're on psych meds, you know, so now they're seeing their therapist or, you know, like, for example, I had to stop doing triathlons years ago because I was like spending my time 
at the massage parlor or at, at the massage place and um and also at the chiropractor and at the acupuncturist so i was like what's the point so right there's a lot of wear and tear on my body with this sport you know i did it for like four or five years and then i was like okay i'm done you know um and, and stuff and now i do it casually for fun uh, i'll ride my bike or swim but it's the same thing it's like you gotta you gotta look you're like wait a minute what if my job is so stressful you know, what's going, what else is going on? Like with me, people say, Oh, like I get chastised or I used to get even more chastised before. Like, why don't you do clinical full-time? I go, well, because I do other things, you know, I write, I do this, I do my podcasts, you know, um, I'm opening up other paths, you you know, and and so they don't understand because their mindset is not there. And I go, and I want to like my clinical job. I want to like going to work. You know, I don't want to have to go, oh, I'm going to go see 500 patients today, you know, and you know, I don't want to go in with that attitude. And many, many providers do, you know, and so when you're going in, to work with that mindset, you know, what is that? How does that affect your patients, you know, um, and and what's going on? Cause now you're creating this negative environment for yourself. Right. And, and everybody that's around you. Yeah. Well, and I, and I have to ask, you know, um, nurses that are, so let's say you got a nurse that's working one extra shift every week. That's 48 hours. If you're working four 12 hour shifts, um, that's 48 hours out of 168. Right. So what are you doing with the other 120 that your life sucks? If you are so letting that 48 affect the other 120, that's on you because your terrible boss or the you know awful work conditions and all that, they are not part of that other 120. Right. It's know? true. Now, my first recommendation for that person would say, stop working extra work your 36 and say, deuces, I'll see you next week. Um, But then what are you doing in the rest of that time? Are you spending time with your family? Are you taking care of your your, your body, your your, your mental health, your spiritual health? Are you taking care of all of these aspects of who you are outside of work? Because I promise you, even in the worst conditions, I spent spent a total of 18 years working in the emergency department, which is way beyond the average. You know, the average is three or four, maybe a max. Most people max that at about five years um, before they just have to do something else because it's extraordinarily stressful. And I look back on it and I think that the reason I could do that was because what I was doing outside of work was, for one, not work-related. And it helped me to, to stay healthy mentally. You know, it, it, I was spending time with my family. I was volunteering and, you know, so I was, I was giving in ways that fed me. I was uh, making sure that, that my mental and spiritual health were being fed. I was getting, you know, pouring into exactly. me so that when I went to work and poured out, I had something to pour out. So I didn't run out, right. you know, and, and there's some, most nurses that, are, that, that, that 36 to 48 hours that they're at work is controlling the rest of it. Right. And a lot of them could be in abusive situations, you know, um, they could be, uh, you know, married to alcoholics, dating alcoholics or people with substance abuse. And that in itself is, is very um, stressful. You know, I've dated these men and I go, I can't date you. You know, this is my, my, my work life is stressful enough. My life 
the way I've designed it and created it is a very calm and relaxed life. And I like it that way. (laughs) There is very, very little chaos, if any. And, And when like I'm around like my family, they understand that and they know that, but their lives are kind of like that too, you know, where we don't have chaos, you know, we don't have like internal fighting and aggression and stuff like that. Um, You know, so, so when someone enters my energy field and they're like that, I'm like, whoa, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) you're glitching me out. You need to like, you know, move over. But, but nurses have a hard time doing that, you know, because we feel that we have to save the world, you know, and heal everybody. So nurses, they have a huge tendency of pulling this stuff in, you know, and, and cause yeah, it's kind of like the demon kid, you know, they kind of want healing deep down inside, but you're just like, (laughs) there's, there's, there's a line, you know, uh, with that, but, but you bring up a good point and, um, there's studies on that, that that's what the cause of burnout is. The cause of burnout is just solely not work. You know, there's going to be stress. People deal with stressful situations and, and stuff. And like I said, this whole nursing racial thing, it's been going on since I was like a new grad yeah. when I was like 24, 25 years old, you know, and yeah, there were laws in place in California. But like I have pointed out with my TikToks and now thank God, uh, this show on Netflix with the good nurse is on and it's showing how hospital administrators cover stuff up. And they did this with Dr. Death. Uh, as well in numerous hospitals, because where I was at, they did the same thing. Uh, and um, and it's showing how with these stressful working conditions, serial killers can be made, you know, either um, which uh, so in order to be a serial killer, you got to kill three people at uh, three different times. Right. So this is what some person made up. Right. I did the research on it. And so there was recently this one uh, nurse at this hospital and he was injecting insulin into these patients. I don't know if he was just overdosing. seems like he was killing them on purpose. I don't know. Um, But he had killed he had almost killed three. His third uh, victim survived. And so I, I believe he was arrested. Uh, and stuff. So he wasn't deemed a serial killer. He was deemed a rogue nurse, which I was like, that's not the definition. <laughs> that's a diff- He's a murderer. So let's just call him that, yes. you know, because it seems like he was doing it on purpose. But um, this can happen, you know, because at my facility where I was working with this, uh, this guy, this respiratory therapist that was killing people, um, he was doing it to lessen his load. And he said that. You know, there uh, there are articles in the L.A. Times where this was his testimony. Like, why did you do it? Oh, well, um, during the holidays, I tried to lessen my load. I, I was just overwhelmed with patients. There were too many. And he was right. There were at that time. You know, we we had yeah. huge loads and, and stuff. Sure. So this can happen. You know, um, I'm going to write an opinion piece on it uh, that I'm going to be working on for a little bit. I got to focus and um, and see. But you know, it's like people have to be open to that. But yeah, it's it's your whole life. It's not just work, you know. So, yeah, so um, totally agree. let's talk about a little bit about uh, the classes that you're teaching on um, 
the whole, where is it here? The happy, healthy life journey that you're promoting. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it kind of ties in very well with what we were just talking about because uh, I, I outline uh, six pillars of a healthy, happy life. Work health is one of them. But that still leaves five others that happen and works part of those five. They all over, they all um, interact, you know. So work health, physical health, mental health, spiritual health, relational health, and financial health. Those are the six pillars that I I, I talk about and in actually a book that I'm working on. Um, so I, I've done a course, actually, I've got a course coming out soon called Rediscovering You. And because we, I think we you know, I think we've kind of talked about this. There's this identity that we have as nurses that, if we're not careful, we lose ourselves in yeah. the midst of it. You know, we we lose, and this is why nurses will miss their children's events because they're because they have they have to work instead of um, working out their schedule or taking time off or whatever you got to do to be at your kids' events is because nurse has somewhere along the line, they would never say this, but they're, you look at their calendar and it, and it tells it nurse has outranked mom or dad in their identity. And with the Rediscovering You course I got coming up, that's the whole point of that is who, who am I? And I, and I've, this is an exercise I've gone through my, and myself where I start as a young man. I said, I never want to be identified by the job I do. Right. But somewhere along the way, as a nurse, I got sucked into that. And I woke up one morning realizing that piece of my identity owned more real estate than it deserved right. within me. You know? right. So I so I did this exercise where I, I wrote down all of these pieces of who I am, the different labels, if you want to, if you want to use that term you know, nurse, husband, father, friend, uh, I'm a pastor, I'm a mentor, uh, uh, you know, all of these right. different things. It turns out to be a long list. And and then you, should, then you look at it and go, okay, which of these is most important to me? And as I, di- as I did that, I realized number one is my identity as a husband to my wife. And then directly behind that is a father to my children. And somewhere along the line, somewhere down there is nurse. And but I had to had to reconnect with who I was, and then that allowed to me to do something that you've you've mentioned here previously is to set boundaries. Right. So if if this is the number one thing, if if really husband and, and father are the two number one things in my life, then how do I set boundaries to make sure that my life actually reflects that? Right. So that's that that's. Uh, that's one of the things I have coming up because I, that is in my fr- in my uh, blueprint. That's the foundation. Is you've, you've got to know who you are. You've got to know what matters to you. You've got to know what your priorities are. Otherwise, these other things kind of um, just just happen to you instead of you happening to them. It's very you know? true. Uh, that that's a that's a great point because people think that life just happens to them and it doesn't. We create our reality. And I teach that in my storytelling classes on how we create these stories and how we create 
the reality around us. I mean, one of the movies that's so great that's out right now, and I've talked about it before, is Don't Worry Darling with um, Harry Styles and the director is Olivia Wilde. If you haven't seen it, it's really great because all of a sudden this woman is living in this very interesting reality. I mean, it's beautiful. I was like, I would love to live in that reality. And it takes place in the 1950s. It actually was filmed here right. in, in Palm Springs. Um, yeah. And and it, and it's this uh, very mid-century modern lifestyle. And it looks pretty cool. Um, and, and, and you see the woman that's doing this work. But then slowly as the movie's unraveling, you know, she starts to be like, she starts getting these... Um, uh, shifts in consciousness and she starts to uh, say like who am I what is going on here and it turns out <laughs> you have to watch the movie I don't want to spoil it for people but it's it's a very interesting trajectory that happens that it uh, that unfolds you know I, I think if right. you haven't seen it it would help you in your classes one of the the greatest yeah. things that um, that you touched upon with the pillars and stuff and and about your identity because I went through this myself when I started to write and take classes and I was going through hypnotherapy, my hypnotherapist was really trying to get me to go into this other direction with starting my own brand. And I, one of the first things that I started writing was my blog called Notoriously Single Girl. And my first blog post, I started to align. This was before Instagram. And I believe it was in 2020, 2012, 2013 is when I started creating a lot of stuff. Um, and, um, you know, blogs were starting to get hot. People were starting to figure out what is a blog. I mean, it was a, a whole new right. frontier uh, with marketing. And I started to align with um, companies. Like my first one was a gallery. And they um, I wrote about a lithograph that I had bought. And they went ahead and um, shared my blog on their um, newsletter. And I got like 600 hits on my very first blog that I ever wrote, which was, I was just like, I, I couldn't believe it, you know? And so I started to have, and, and then I even aligned with Uber. Uber was brand new at that time. I had used their service as a town car and I loved it. I came up with this idea, uh, for marketing, um, the town car, you know, with a single woman in mind, and I pitched it to their marketing director. She's like, let's have a meeting. I freaked out because I was like, who am I? I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. I, I really started to have this. Now it's called imposter syndrome. You know, right. I, I didn't know. And, and you know, and I, I was being coached by my um, hypnotherapist. You know, I was also taking these writing classes. I am a professional. Um, I had taught at the university level as well as an educator, but I was just like so freaked out and I shut that side of me down, which looking back, I could have made millions, you know, cause right. a lot of people did cause I was already opening these doors with these companies and going to places that nobody was going with this. And now it's really difficult. Now when I'm, I'm doing the same thing, I'm being questioned. Oh, how many TikToks do you have uh, followers? How much YouTube do you have? How much? And I'm just like, oh, this, which is a saturated market. So now I'm like, wait a minute, I got to go bigger. You know? <laughs> so yeah. you got to get smarter and go, it's kind of a swamp going on right now. There's too much noise here. So I don't, I don't like living here because I don't like to compete with other people. I don't think I, I should or have to 
because I bring my, I'm in my own lane. You know, this is what I learned right. working for pharma, stay in your own lane. <laughs> We're all in our own lanes. So I go, how can, in a business sense, can I be up here? Cause I know what I bring and I know my value now, you know? So, so now the game is much harder than it was before, much more challenging, but I think I'm much more equipped to play it now. Like I'm much more knowledgeable right. to play it. So, yeah. um, but that's what an identity crisis will do to you. It will yeah. mess up your life so, <laughs> quite a bit. Well, and you know, the reality is we don't have to wait until it's a crisis. You know, it's like so many other things in our lives, you know, a person doesn't have to wait till they have a heart attack to decide to get healthy and fit. You can get healthy and fit before the crisis. Right. And it's the same way with figuring out who you are. Now, the vast majority of us, nobody's ever asked that question. You know, I, I, I asked, I asked somebody, if I were to, if you and I were to meet at a conference or something and I say, well, who are you? Your, your natural response is going to be to give me your name, which is perfectly reasonable. But then, you know, if you then looked at me and I said, okay, my name is Matt, you then looked at me and said, okay, but who's Matt? That's a much right. different and a much deeper and more difficult question that most people have never explored. And it leads to the sort of breakthroughs that you, you're talking about. It leads to the ability to set boundaries. You talked about how you your life has been very intentionally built a certain way. And but that that has to start with understanding who you are. Right. And most of us just don't. We just don't know who we are. Right. We're just, we know, we know what we do, it, it, but we don't, who am I? What, ma what really matters to me? Well, you know? also what we have to realize, because people take so many things, like let's say the media, very, very, like, they're just like, oh my God. Like if someone else is not doing something that the media told them to, like, let's say, uh, wear a mask in public. Oh, that person did it. Now, why are you getting so that person could do whatever they want to do. You are just responsible for you. Like, if you don't want to go, don't okay. go there. Like I don't go, like I've been practicing social distancing since I was a kid. I'm like, get away from me. Cause I have a very, I am right. a, I have a very sensitive auric field, you know? So I just don't like people in my field. Right. You know, unless you have good intentions and I know you and I do let you in. It's just, you know, I am very, I could pick up a lot of weird stuff, you know, and it doesn't feel good to me. So um, I, like I said, I've been practicing that a long time. One of the most important things that um, you're bringing up with these pillars and who people are and, and what people don't realize is that, um, you know, Carl Jung talks about the archetypes and in storytelling, we talk about the archetypes uh, as well. Like one of the main archetypes is the one of the, the mother, one is one of the savior, one of the fool. Um, I actually have Carl Jung's book right here because I'm, <laughs> it's an old book I found at a um, used bookstore, but it's talking about mother, rebirth, spirit, and trickster. So these are some of the archetypes and a really great movie that shows these archetypes. And I teach it in my classes is um, all about my mother by Almaldivar, which is great. It's a Spanish movie, uh, but it, it shows all these archetypes of the saint, of the mother, uh, of the actress, you know. And yes, we have all of these kind of identities about us, but we have to learn 
to utilize them. It's like kind of a superpower when they are needed. You know, like you said, you have all of these. And then what is important when? And nobody teaches us how to do that, you know, especially when, yeah. you know, we're in society. I know you do. You do now. I'm I working now, on it. <laughs> which is great, which is great. Yeah, like learn the archetypes, which is is very, very interesting. Right. Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, Hero's Journey uh, also talks mm. about it, which is great. Um, and you'll learn a lot because you'll be like, oh, oh, I get it, you know, because we are the hero in our journey. And if you believe we're living in a simulated reality, like a video game, which if you watch the movie um, Free Man, Free Guy, which is awesome. Did you watch Free Guy? Yeah, oh, it was a great movie. Yeah. And so this is our life. We're here to learn how to level up, you know, how do we go from just being, some people like being NPCs, you know, non-player characters, just regular, you know, and that's great. And some people may be very unconscious about it. Like, oh, this is my life. This is what I'm going to do. What? I could do more. I can, you know, and I do one-on-one coaching for that. You know, like I just was coaching my secretary on leveling up and she was like, all into it, you know, and now you got to look at her background too. Her dad is an entrepreneur. You know, her dad's a gardener. He does my gardening, you know, and of course she's been brought up with an entrepreneurial mind in the family somewhere, you know, it's kind of seeped in to where she's like, wait a minute. Yeah, I could do, you know, and she's been doing a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, it it is a slow process and stuff for some, but you got to get used to it because then you get scared. You're like, wait a minute, this is not who I am you know, and she's in that part of figuring out who am I and what do I want to do? Because I've been kind of in this NPC mindset for a while. And now I'm kind of leveling up and it's cool. And you get those prizes just like the free guy does, you know, and you got to learn how to get through in this society and stuff and, and who to talk to, what doors can open for you? You know, what magic do you have that you can bestow and help you know but it's all about what you want to do and you you do have that freedom of choice to choose i mean i did a a reading for someone so i'll do um some like past life regression uh some esoteric readings so for halloween i was just messing around on instagram i was like who wants this reading and and so the my one friend who came to help me out with the situation he uh became my bodyguard one day needed um some muscle so i hired him and he's like me. And I was just like, okay. And I know um, a little bit about what he's doing in his life, but I don't know too much about him. This guy kept coming up and it, and it was this guy. So my friend is Haitian. So it was this Yankee doodle guy on a horse, but he was black. And I go, and he keeps doing this thing. And I go, who is this guy? Like, I don't know. He's coming in strong. And he goes, oh, his name is Toussaint Leverture. And probably not saying his uh, name right. He goes, he's the father of Haiti. He goes, my mom used to dress me up like him when I was a kid. And I was like, no way. So I looked into this guy. And if you've ever thought we're living in a video game or a simulated reality, you just got to look at this guy's life. Like I started going down rabbit holes. This man started out as a slave. Okay. He worked his way up mm. to be Napoleon's right-hand man. <laughs> And owning all these businesses. So how do you do that? How do you start off as a slave? Like you're coming into the game, you know? Uh, But yeah, 
So, so that's, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Have you ever experienced something like that? Like even in your own life, you're like, wait a minute, you know, it, it's like, that's how we are living in a game and tap. It, it, it's like, once you realize that right. you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. I got to play or not, you know, but anyway, I never really thought of it like that, but, but now, now, now there's a book in my head more than an NPC. I'm going to, I'm going to write that book. Also um, all about what, <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you another one. There's another one, Simulation, uh, Simulated Reality by, his name is Riz, and I forget his last name, but he used to work in Silicon Valley making video games. So he has this whole uh, model on this idea, and it's very interesting once you start to look at it, and once you start to look at these characters in history. Like, that's why I look at CEOs. How did you get to where you're going, you know? And some people may not care, and some people will are, are perfectly fine being... And then, you know, like a non-player character, just doing the same thing in and out. And that's fine for them. You know, it's all about it. But if you're like, wait a minute, there has to be something more. This is how you do it. You know, (laughs) and I wish someone told me that much uh, earlier on, Um, you know, and right. So now that, you know, watch, start doing it and, and stuff. But yeah. So. Just to round up, what do you think has to happen in the nursing world then? Well, you know, I thought a lot about this and and there's a lot of talk about nurses coming together. And and here's the unfortunate reality. Um, There are around 4 million or so nurses in the United States out of 330 million people. So even if every nurse in the United States came together saying the same thing, it's not enough to get the attention of the people that matter. Okay. The people that can make the changes, you know, sure. In an individual hospital, we outnumber everybody else there. Okay. But when, when you look at the, the, uh, a national level with 330 million people in the United States and 4 million or so nurses, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. So even if now, first of all, I don't think, you'd ever get all 4 million nurses to agree on anything. I used to say you couldn't get four nurses to walk into this room and agree that that light is blue. Um, you know, some of them would have to say it's a different color just cause. And uh, unfortunately I've seen that to be true throughout my career. So, but even if we could in a fantasy get every nurse to agree, it's not enough to make the people in Washington or you break it down to the state level and, and get the people in the state at the, uh, you know, in Florida. So the people in Tallahassee, they're not going to pay attention. There's just not enough of us. There really aren't. So I think the thing that is going to begin to turn the tides is the public have to realize that we are not the bad guys, right. that nurses are doing everything we can to take care of them, you know, sacrificing our own well-being and our own safety oftentimes to take care of them. And that the organizations we work for are making it extremely difficult and and grow and becoming more and more difficult. The public has to begin to realize, I'm not sure how we do that, but we've got to get, every person out there has at some point been affected by a nurse, okay? So we've got to get some of those other 300, some, some more of the 330 Amer- 30 million Americans to start talking to whoever and saying enough is enough, you are because they're sacrificing the safety of the people, not just us. And I, that's really what I believe needs to change is that 
that, or the way that the change happens. I and mean, we can talk about specific things that need to change, um, but the way the cha- the only way the change I think is going to happen is when the public starts to say enough is enough, something has to change. Right. Well, one of the main problems too with the public is that they don't take enough accountability of their health care because they will put their health and their lives into a physician's hands for years, you know, and I think that this is a mindset, you know, oh, well, the doctor knows what's best for me. Oh, well, the, you know, so it, it, and instead of like, well, no, this guy doesn't care about you. You know, he cares about you for maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes that you've seen him, but you're not, you ultimately need to take account. You need to start learning. And if you can't, then there are people you can hire. There's actually uh, volunteer people too that you could go to and get educated. Like I saw a TikTok about a guy who went in and he started reading the fine lines. You know, when he went into the ER, he had dengue fever. He read the fine line that says, you may be personally charged if a physician out of your um, insurance thing uh, takes care of you. So that you will incur a hospital charge or like a physician charge, you know? So he asked the hospital, whoever admitted him, um, he said, Hey, you know what? I, I don't, can we make sure that whoever takes care of me is, is within, um, this hospital system or within my insurance system so that I don't get extra charges. He videoed people being rude to him and telling him, Sir, we don't know. We don't know how this works. That's a, we don't know. We don't know. So who is the bad guy here now? Instead of saying, yeah, I know that really sucks, right? Okay, let's try to make that happen for you. Why couldn't they just say that? You know, so now the nurses and, and, and healthcare staff are really looking like the bad guys. Because like you said, this patient did try to do something and say, Hey, I don't want these extra charges. I can't afford this. You know, um, can we please help me to make it happen? Now they could have called an advocate. There are patient advocates, you know, maybe they didn't have one on staff that day. I don't know to come help him out with that and to maybe make some calls to his insurance right. company and said, how can we make this happen? You know, cause I sure, you know, and, and people, are at that. They're like, wait a minute, if I don't need these extra costs, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be here. You know, if we can do this another way where it's more affordable for me, you know? So, so there you go. I mean, I think that's an excellent example (laughs) of someone, people are waking up to these fine lines in print, but yet the healthcare staff is not being supportive of that, you know? Right. And maybe I've been well, guilty of th- that myself. Right. Maybe I've been guilty of yeah. that myself. And I try, like now I, I hear another thing because we're having RSV season here in California. I was just talking to um, a new nurse practitioner who was a, a student um, and I mentored her for a little bit. And um, she was telling me her kid's been sick for over a week, doesn't got negative flu, negative RSV, right? So um, has been having ear pain. They looked in her ears, they go, oh, it's a little bit red, you know, and they won't give her the uh, PA at the urgent care, wouldn't give her antibiotics. And I was like, well, it's clear if she's, um, you know, if she's having fever and she tested negative for all those and her her uh, tympanic membrane's a little bit bulgy and red, I would have just given her the antibiotic, 
you know, if she's running right. and she goes, and now the next day she was running a fever of 102.5, you know, it, it, it's like, just give her the, no, she's had to go through three people, you know, cause this is a thing. Oh, well, they don't like to give antibiotics. So I go, you need to use your discernment and your intuition, you know? <laughs> It's like, it's like, look at the whole picture. No, you're practicing with made up guidelines. You know, you're not looking at the patient and what now this mom is spending her personal time going to, you know, three different providers, you know, trying to get care for her kid. That's just ridiculous to me, you know? And I told her, I wish I could have written you a script because I would have just said, you know, give her an antibiotic, you know, let's get this going. Cause obviously we know now it's probably bacterial, you know? Right. <laughs> but, but, but I, yeah. I hear you, but it's also the providers that have to also be, uh, have common sense about it and really try to help their patients as much as they can. Yeah. We do get some people that all they want is an antibiotic and they think they're Dr. Mom and, you know, and they think they know what's bad. And you're just like, I can only, and I tell them, I can only do this and this for you. If this and this happens, you can call me and then we can go ahead. I try to negotiate as much as possible, you know, and be there for them. And sometimes it is quite difficult. So there has to be some happy medium somewhere, you know, it's not an easy solution. So where can people find you and tell us more? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You're, you're, (laughs) I was just going to say, I I agree. I think that part of the, um, the public, coming um getting on, on the fight with us is really them taking responsibility for their own health care you know and and learn realizing that this is not just us being crybabies that we're working too hard that it will actually improve the things that make our job easier will make their care better you know and and i agree they need to on so many levels the public needs to take better better care uh, more responsibility for their health care Right, right. So tell us where people can find you and if people want to take your classes. Uh, well, uh, I am on TikTok, uh, that big bald nurse. And uh, for obvious reasons, if you if you see me on TikToks, I'm I'm a big guy with a bald head. Um, and but I'm also uh, my website is restoringnurses.com, and that's where all of my stuff is, including a link link for my podcast. My podcast, I'm relaunching in uh, December 15th. I'm relaunching my podcast. I'm recording some new episodes now and uh, getting that ready to go to relaunch in December. Cool. Awesome. And uh, all your information will be on our show notes. And uh, I'll also share it on my newsletter. So thank you so much, Matt, for being on. Super fun. Super fun. All right. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We'd love it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love a monetary donation. You can go ahead and donate on Venmo at nurses-hypo. Links are at the show notes. If you'd like to take any of the well-written nurse writing and storytelling classes, those links are also at the end of the show notes. And we'd love it if you come and uh, learn the art of storytelling. Thanks again for listening. Till next time.